Hello and welcome to the Free Movement podcast. Um, this month I am joined by Sonia Lenigan, um, immigration lawyer about town, and we're doing something a bit different. We're going to have a bit of a chat about what is going on with immigration and asylum policy generally right now to cover some of the material we'd normally cover in the update podcast. And we're going to record an update podcast separately to go through all of the nitty gritty of the stuff that happened in September 2022. So it sort of freezes up, I think, to have a, a slightly more free ranging discussion about basically what the hell is actually going on <laughs> with government immigration policy at the moment. Um, so Sonia, do you, do you want to just quickly say hello? Hi, everyone. <laughs> right. Um, so there are several blog posts that we're covering here, but it's also some um, just general mood music from briefings that we've seen to journalists and things as well. And we covered some of it on the blog, but 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 not all of it. So the the basic thing that we've got here is that we're hearing some stuff from number 10 about um, uh, immigration policies intended to boost growth. And it, it doesn't really seem to match with what we're hearing from um, Suella Bravman, the Home Secretary, about what she intends for the immigration system um, and so on. And then the kind of added dimension to that is that the mood music from number 10 about reforming the visa system and so on, the stuff they've said doesn't really amount to very much. Um, so, you know, they're, they're talking about reform of the visa system, which is very non-committal, you know, reform in what way, uh, allegedly to uh, attract the best talent from across the world, yada, yada, yada. You know, we've heard that before. It's very kind of early 2000s kind of new labor type stuff that. Um, we're talking about adjustments to the English language requirement, um, shortage occupation list review, a new visa for students from top global universities. Um, the thing is, I, Sonia, I mean, we, we had um, a, a good piece from um, Joanna Hunt, I think, on the on the website about the English language requirements and shortage occupations. It doesn't really make any difference, does it? Is, is that is that fair, do you think? No. I mean, she pointed out that the SOL has already been reviewed uh, by the MAC anyway. So, you know, that's not new. Unclear how much of a difference that will make. Uh, she was welcoming the changes to the English language test. But again, I don't know the extent to which that's currently a barrier. It was a barrier for butchers, apparently. So I mean, just yeah, just to quickly right. clarify, SOL is the, the shortage occupation list and the MAC is the Migration Advisory Committee um, who, who've been commissioned by the government to, to look over this. We do like our, our acronyms. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, the, I, I think, I think um, Joanna specifically highlighted that that's why they had to create this particular visa for butchers last year because they, they had enough skill to qualify um, for entry under the skilled visa worker um, scheme, but they didn't have the the language skills necessarily. But that's a pretty niche case scenario, and you know you'd have thought that most people's view of a skilled worker and what the government seems to have in mind here about the best talent from across the world, you know, they probably wouldn't have that much difficulty meeting those kinds of requirements. Um, yeah, and and shortage occupation list. That's just it, it used to be quite beneficial to be on the shortage occupation list whereas that's no longer the case I think is, is that right yeah I think that is that is the case um I think it's also interesting because a lot of what Joanna was writing about came from number 10 whereas since then it seems that our new home secretary has a fairly different position on things so for example we were talking about expansion um, of students whereas uh Suella Braverman wants to do things like remove their ability to bring their family members with them. 
So, I mean, the tension between what Number 10 is saying and what the Home Secretary is saying that they want to do, at this point in time, it's difficult to know who's going to triumph, but they are saying pretty dramatically different things at the moment. Yeah, I got good schooling on Twitter about the um, stats on student dependence. So I, I, I like to dig around in the in the stat tables, the quarterly immigration statistics, and um, thought that I'd found the right um, cell on the on the right table. And it was like less than five thousand people. I thought, oh, what? Yes, that's, that's that's virtually nobody. Turns out it was like eighty thousand. So I just I found the wrong bit. So um, yes, I was, I was great grateful for having that pointed out to me. Um, my own fault for, for getting that wrong. But yeah, there, there has been a significant extent, extension recently in the number of student family members. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's supposedly around 80,000 now, according to the, to the Home Office stats. Um, so yeah, if, if, you're, if you find yourself resorting to targeting student families in order to reduce immigration, you know, that, that, that doesn't sound like a very sort of good, uh, very well thought through policy. And and you know the other thing, and we've seen this more recently as well. There's there's um, news just today. We're recording this on what the seventh of October, and there's a headline in the Times this morning about um, trusts wanting to expand the the seasonal agricultural workers scheme SAWS to its friends from thirty thousand to fifty thousand. Um, and you've got Bravman saying she wants to reduce low skilled migration and reduce net migration overall as well. It's like those two, those two things just do not add up. They're just completely they're opposites essentially. Yeah, exactly. That's why I think trying to make predictions about immigration policy at the moment is really a mugs game because it's so unclear what's actually going to happen because their positions are just so far apart. It does sort of make you think, how much of a conversation did they have about this before Braverman was put into that role? Because it seems that she's undermining everything that Truss is saying that she wants to do. Yeah, it's very, it's very hard to see what happens going forward. And I, I, I sometimes wonder about what happens within the Home Office where you've got a minister asks for something and civil servants um, respond. And they've, you know, they've got a number of different things, I guess, they can say. So you know, if somebody says, oh, we want to make it, we want to recruit more talent, um, civil servants can say, well, yes, minister, we can adjust the shortage occupation list. And that sounds really credible to a minister who doesn't know what they're doing, essentially. And you know, that, that is really fine-grained detail of the immigration system. There's no particular reason why you know the, the Home Secretary should understand the exact details of the, the shortage occupation list. But the reality is that it doesn't actually have any impact in real life. And how far is it that civil servants are kind of... Um, carrying through their own kind of institutional policies um, in resistance to, to what ministers are suggesting or or how far is it that they're, they're genuinely working in, in in tandem and then you've also got that at a kind of wider level as you say between between number 10 and the home office completely um, so yeah it's, it's it's all a bit of a mystery what the um, what the sort of end result of all this ends up being Um I was I was quite taken with the suggestion um, from Home Office sources that more training would be offered to employers to help them cope with the intricacies of the, the points-based system and that there would be a special hotline for them. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure that's really going to make that much difference at a kind of macro level no. to immigration policy. No, I mean, you just need to simplify these things, not expect people to go away and get trained to, to deal with the complexities because they're not going to do that. They're just going to avoid it instead. Yeah, it's kind of the Home Office just not realizing that the problem is them. Yeah, it's not, the problem's not employers; it's um, it's the system that they've created. Yeah. Well, that brings us on to um, the asylum stuff, um, which is also it's a bit of a nightmare, quite frankly. So you, you've got all this briefing from um, the Home Office. I, again, I, I'd love to know what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's 
Bravman herself, whether it's her team or whether it's the journalists kind of um, slightly expanding on what they say and, and, and so on in these briefings. You know, you've got this headline from the Times basically saying that the, the <laughs> there's going to be legislation to prevent people who cross the channel from claiming asylum. Um, and that's briefed immediately before Bravman's um, party conference speech. And and my my take when I was going through the the text of the speech was that she didn't actually say that 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 wasn't really in the speech as such. It was just in the in the kind of pre briefings. Is that me being optimistic? Do you think, or, or what was your take? Um, well, I mean, my impression has always been that the Times pretty much just prints what the Home Office gives them. Um, so I think obviously there was more detail in the Sun and the Times than in the speech. But, you know, I'm not sure that we're out of the woods yet um, because it, we've seen with the National Aid Borders Bill as that was going through Parliament, you know, a lot of the stuff that was briefed at the Times did transpire later to be policy intentions. So, you know, this I, I think it's likely that they may be looking to try and do something more, but it's just very difficult to see. I mean, it, it feels like the, the bottom of the barrel has been very thoroughly scraped at the moment. Uh, it's difficult to see what they could actually do to make things worse for people. Yeah, maybe that's a failure of imagination on our part. I, I, I agree. I just, I really struggle to imagine what more they can do. Um, and, and I said something about this on Twitter. I mean, ultimately, the problem is if, if you're if you're trying to follow through on those kinds of you know obscene policies, um, what are you going to do with the people? So if you st- if you're stopping them from claiming asylum once they're here, what happens to them then? Um, so they're denied access to the asylum process, but where are they going to go? They, you know, ultimately they, they only, even if the Rwanda stuff goes through eventually, which is, you know, be months or possibly years down the line from, from, from it going through the, the court system fully. Um, that's only a few hundred people a year and, you know, there's no returns deal with, with France or with the EU. So the people stay here. So why, why deny yeah. them access to the asylum system? And again, this is something that we've seen is happening in Australia, which is the system that the government you know, seems very keen to emulate, is people in that situation are just sitting in Australia for years with very little that they're able to do. But, I mean, they're still there. So, and, you know, the, the Australian government then tries to find uh, other resettlement options for them, for example, to go to New Zealand or to the United States. Um, but, you know, they, those people are still in Australia. What what are the numbers like in Australia? Because and here in the UK, we're talking about and for, for several years, it was between about thirty forty thousand main applicants um, who were coming in, and the numbers, you know, they were fairly steady for quite a long time. But they do seem to have genuinely started to go up over the last uh, few quarters. Um, you know, we could be talking about sixty thousand people plus dependents, maybe as well. Um, and what, that, that's a lot of people. Uh, how, how many of Australia been treating in this way? I don't know what the numbers are, but I also don't think it's a good comparison just because of the geographical differences. Like Australia is a lot harder to get to. Yeah, it's surrounded by big ocean, notably. Exactly. You know, if you look at a map, and and Australia's got all kinds of returns deals with you know the I was going to say adjacent countries. I mean, they are adjacent in in one sense; they're the nearest countries. They're just not very close. Um, so you know, people do get towed back to Indonesia and Malaysia. I think, as I, as I understand it, um, which is you know, clearly in breach of, of, of the Refugee Convention, um, and um, that that can't happen in the UK. You know, if you intercept somebody at sea in the Channel, they've got to either land basically in France or the UK, 
once they've crossed that kind of halfway point, it's not going to be France. And so, you know, they're, they're here and they're here to stay. And the vast majority of them are refugees. You know, we've got this really high success rate, 76%, according to, to the latest statistics, plus half of people winning their appeals. Um, so it, it, it's not as if they're kind of, um, people who, who aren't entitled to asylum ultimately as well. Um, and what, yeah, again, and this is a slight sort of tangent, but one of the things that um, makes me slightly, slightly cross is not quite the right word, but frustrated is people going on about the cost of the Rwanda scheme, which is, you know, it's, it's an element point. It's, it's a relevant point in some ways, but that say the 120,000, sorry, 120 million plus the extra costs that were the Home Office has been quite um, cagey about that is absolutely peanuts compared to the cost of the asylum backlog that the Home Office has allowed to build up over the last few years, where you're talking about you know, 125,000 people or so who are forced to rely on asylum support because they're not allowed to work. And they're, they're kept there waiting by the Home Office against their will. You know, they, don't, they don't want to be in limbo for this protracted period of time. It's really bad for them. It really affects their life um, outcomes later on after they after they leave the asylum process and they're eventually recognised as a refugee and it's really really expensive and the Home Office is just kind of wasting money in this way it's 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 really this is such an important point that we just don't really see people getting upset about yes exactly I mean the figure that has been given th- this week is five million pounds a day for asylum support and you know like you I've got absolutely no time for complaints about that um, by the government because that is money that they are choosing to pay for the sole purpose of making people's lives miserable. It's completely unnecessary. That is a decision that they are making. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's all, um, it, it, <laughs> it's, not, it's not good, is it? I think, we can, I think we can agree on that. Okay, right, Sonia, I think that probably wraps up what we wanted to talk about, sort of the general state of the nation and stuff like that. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll finish that there and we'll be back soon with another episode covering the sort of more substantive um, legal content for September 2022 where we'll go into the detail of policy changes, new cases, that kind of thing. So that's it from us for, for now. Goodbye.